Welcome to The Word and Us. My name is Dirk Liebenberg, and I am, of course, your host. Now, I had a whole thing planned for today's episode. I had a document typed up, a lot of details and anecdotes, stories, references, a lot of different details that I wanted to share with you. But today was such a nice sunny day and I was sitting on the roof of our building and just reading my Bible as part of my Bible reading plan. I'll get into that at a later stage. But I was reading through the epistle to the Galatians as it was written by Paul. Now, I decided to move away from this document and all these details and things that I had prepared and instead just read the epistle to the Galatians with you today. Now, of course, this is the point where I would like to invite you to get your Bible in your hand or get it open online or an app or whatever version you use. Get the version that you typically use, the one that you understand. If you maybe even read it in a different language, then by all means, go through that. But just for the sake of comprehension and being clear, I will now use my eSword program on my laptop to read from the English Standard Version or the ESV of the Bible. Personally, I read the King James Version and I have read the King James Version for many, many years and I'm quite used to that at this point. But just because I don't know who might be listening and living in a country where not everybody is equally proficient in every language being spoken, I found the ESV to be a very good and approachable, easy to understand version that also captures the tone and yeah, it's nice to read. It's comfortable to read. So we'll be reading from the English Standard Version, but by all means, read whatever version you want to read and just follow along. It is also at this point that I would like to say that please, 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 please follow along so that you can see if what I'm saying is true, if it is so. Because I don't want to add my own ideas or impose my own thoughts and things onto the text when it was never intended to say a certain thing. Now, the best way to figure out what the text actually says in context is to keep it in its proper context. Now, I'm the kind of person that when I read the Bible, I typically, especially in the New Testament, I typically like to read an entire epistle or an entire letter, the entire thing in one sitting. And that way, I believe that that is the way that it was intended to be read as it was written as a single letter that was supposed to be read to a church or to a group of people in one sitting, I would imagine. And knowing that the chapter and verse numbers were added many, many years, even centuries later, they were not part of the original text. And you can go look that up if you don't believe me. I believe that this one letter is best read in its entirety. So that is what I am going to do with you today. And by all means, pause this podcast, go get your Bible, get ready, and just follow along with me. So without too much further ado, here we go. The Epistle of Paul the Apostle to the Galatians. Chapter 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father 
and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory for ever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel, contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his Son to me, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him fifteen days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. Now that's the end of chapter 1, and I just want to point out a few things that I think are very, very interesting. First of all, in verse 6, he says that he's astonished that people, the believers in this case, are so quickly deserting him who called them to the grace of Christ. And they are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble them and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Meaning that even at the time when this letter was written, which according to the information that I could find online, was around the year 56 AD, already then people were trying to twist and change the gospel into something else. And this is a very stern, a very serious warning against that kind of thing that he says twice if anyone tries to preach this different distorted twisted gospel that person should be accursed or accursed that is quite heavy and serious language to use in this case because that is a very very big deal I also find it very interesting in chapter 1 verse 10 where he says that am I trying to please man or seeking the approval of man or 
God. And he says, if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Meaning that if you go out of your way and if you change your message, if you try and do everything to keep all the people happy, oh my, you are not now a servant of Christ. Because those two things seem to be opposites. I find that to be very, very interesting. Now, moving on to chapter two, he says, Then after 14 years I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet, because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me, God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles, and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Now let's stop there. Let's stop here at verse 10. Already we see something very, very interesting here that has helped me to frame a lot of my understanding when I read other books or other letters and epistles in the New Testament. Because here we see a very very important distinction. We see here that he has been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised or to the Gentiles, the non-Jews, the non-Israelites, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised. So this is a very, very interesting thing to know and to keep in mind when we read the Bible. We need to look at who was writing the letter to whom. Because in this case, we see that Paul's ministry was focused on the Gentiles, the people who are not Jewish or not of the Israelites' descent. That's a very interesting thing to know and bear in mind. And we see Peter, who also wrote some epistles, we see that his ministry was focused on the Jews or those of the circumcision. That's what that refers to. Now, that is very, very interesting. And when he says here uh, the name uh, Cephas, we know that that is Peter. That is his like real name in this case. So James, Peter and John, who seem to be pillars, for they, we know, walked with Jesus quite closely. They now gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and to Paul, that they should go to the Gentiles. And then Cephas, John and James would go to the circumcision or the people who are of Jewish descent. Now, that is a very, very important thing to bear in mind. But let's keep going. Verse 11. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. 
For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile, and not like a Jew. How can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? This is a very interesting encounter, a very interesting power dynamic going on here, where Paul basically rebukes and openly confronts Peter about something that he's done. Now, bearing in mind, Peter was one of the original disciples, the original apostles. He walked with Jesus, and Paul didn't. But still, Paul was in a position where he now confronted Peter about this hypocrisy, quite publicly, that he, in front of everyone, rebuked him. But we keep going. Chapter 2, verse 15. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. And I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Wow. Now here we start to see a very interesting dynamic. We start to see how the law and faith in Christ are opposites of each other. These two things do not go together. Now this is where this twisting of the gospel comes in, where some people, these Judaizers, as they're called, told some people, you know, yeah, yes, you believe in Jesus, but you now also need to keep these laws. You also need to keep the law here or else your faith is not complete in this sense. This is what's going on. That even the Gentiles, the non-Jewish believers, in this case, the Greeks, they are expected to live like the Jews. But then when Peter and the others were alone with the Gentiles, they did not themselves even live like the Jews. So we see here there's a big, big difference between these two ways of living. But we keep going on to chapter 3. Now what I want you to be aware of here is the difference between faith and the law and how these two things are set in opposition to each other. So let's read this together. Chapter 3. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? 
Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. Now I'll stop it here for now and just read this in the King James Version, which makes this distinction very clear. So again, verse 15 and 16 says, Brethren, I speak after the manner of men, though it be but a man's covenant, yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereto. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He said not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed which is Christ. Now back to the ESV and we keep going with verse 17. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. Now I'll go back to the King James Version for this part. Verse 23. But before faith came, 
we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster, for ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Verse 27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Let's move on to chapter 4. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Wow, that's amazing. Now, just for reference, that word Abba, father, that's the same kind of word as daddy. This informal, loving, affectionate way to refer to God. That's just amazing. And what we see here, very clear distinction between the law and faith. But we keep going. Verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you. My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. I'll just go back to the King James Version for that last part, verse 16 onwards. Am I therefore become your enemy? Because I tell you the truth? They zealously affect you, but not well. Yea, they would exclude you, that ye might affect them. But it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing, and not only when I am present with you. 
my little children, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you, I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice, for I stand in doubt of you. Verse 21, ESV. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. How can you make it any clearer than this? Cast out the slave woman and her son. Cast out the old covenant. Cast out the covenant of Moses' law, the Mosaic law. Cast that out. Throw it out. You don't want anything more to do with that because the son of the slave woman will not inherit with the son of the free woman. The old covenant is gone. It's over and done with. Because this whole Old Covenant thing, it's a curse. We saw that in the previous chapters. It's a curse. Jesus had to take the curse on himself so that we could receive the blessing because there's no way that we could ever, ever fulfill the Old Covenant. It's impossible. And either way, now that faith has come, we are no longer under that schoolmaster. The point of the law, the point of the Old Covenant is to bring us to Jesus. And now that we are with Jesus, we have him, we have arrived at the destination that this covenant was supposed to bring us to. We are there now. We don't need it anymore. We can throw it out. But let's keep going. Chapter 5. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You are cut off from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. 
A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brother, shall preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Chapter 6 Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone, and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me 
and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be unto them, and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. And that brings us nicely to the end of the epistle to the Galatians, written by the Apostle Paul. Now, I hope that you have been blessed and that you have been encouraged and edified and that you have learned something from this episode today. I hope that you maybe have a new perspective on this epistle as a whole or maybe just one of the chapters, one of the parts, one of the themes in it, perhaps, that maybe didn't really make sense to you before or that you maybe thought you understood, but you didn't really understand how it all fits together. Whatever the case may be, I hope that this has been a blessing to you and I want to leave you with the following takeaways from this based on what we've read today. First of all, it is very, very important to really think about who you are listening to when it comes to your spiritual instruction and edification because we know that this letter was started off with a warning against false teachers, people perverting and twisting the gospel into something else. So be very, very careful and be vigilant. Use wisdom, use your discernment to find good teachers. Having said that, I really hope that you would stay tuned for the rest of the episodes on this podcast as I'm constantly working on some more and more will be coming out as soon as I can get them recorded and edited and uploaded. So stay tuned. You see my approach to these things. I'm not only going to do these sorts of episodes, but I'm also going to do topical studies. I have a few other things already lined up on my computer screen in front of me right now, and I am very excited to continue along this journey with you. But for now, I would like to ask that you go to someplace quiet, maybe somewhere where you can be alone, and just spend some personal time talking to God about the things that you've heard today. I'm not going to tell you what to say. I'm not going to tell you what to ask. I'm not going to give you much. I am going to trust that God is going to speak to you on a way that you will understand and a way that makes sense to you. So take some time, go and talk to him, and more importantly than that, listen and see what he has to say to you. Tuning into this episode proudly presented by the APNM Group, a subsidiary of Alger Productions LLC. We strive to produce content that informs, entertains, and adds value to your day. We value your input and would be delighted to hear your thoughts in the comments about this episode. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions, please engage with us in the comments section or via our social media platforms. Your feedback helps us shape our content and uncover new topics that matter to our listeners. 
If this episode resonated with you, we kindly ask that you rate and review this show on your preferred podcast platform. Sharing this podcast with friends and family helps us reach more listeners and continue delivering content you enjoy. For more information about the podcast, the host, or our parent company, please visit the link in this episode's description. Also visit us on YouTube and Rumble to see and hear every content produced by Algebra Productions. Thank you once again for your time and support. Until next time, stay tuned and stay inspired.